0: The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. You things are good with you? Uh,
1: nothing has gone wrong. I mean, this is now five weeks of, uh, of lockdown. Um, nothing, just bored. I have more work than I can deal with because I have I work out of the house, right? Just like you do. And the work keeps coming in. It's just that I can't go to meetings, I can't go to dinner, I can't go to lunches, I can't do anything that we would normally do. So it's getting a little tiresome.
2: I keep getting requests to do podcasts. Oh, me too. So I'm really pleased with that. The the, the business model of Hainsworth.com collapsed thanks to coronavirus. At least the business development side of the equation, because Mm. no one's going to want to go out for a coffee with me and chat about what's going on in their world. So it's it's I'm relieved that at least in the interim we're we're fine in, in that department. That at least I've got a base of clients already and they're interested in pivoting during these uncertain times.
1: And like you, I have a wife that works for the
2: government. <laughs> yes. Very, very valuable. Oh yes. You, that, that, that's called a keeper. I I made a mistake one day of um tweeting Something that was really vague, and it was something like when your wife, who's a big shot at Queen's Park, picks up her phone and goes, Oh, fuck. <laughs> you know that's not a good sign. No, it's not. And then, like, peop- some somebody actually, tw- a bunch of people were like, well, what? Uh, and because she's, you know, raised her hand and sworn an oath to the crown, she can't tell me anything no. other than, oh, fuck. And so that was kind of the point that I was making was that it felt, you know, just, just how uncomfortable it feels to know that your wife is privy to information you don't have. And someone else had pointed out on Twitter, listen, you've got a blue check Mark. So when you tweet it, it rises to the top. And if all you're doing is making people more nervous and scared, you're not contributing, you're not helping. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I deleted that tweet, but um, it, it's, it's weird to listen in on these conference calls as I'm doing my work going, wow, these people are working behind the scenes like nobody's business.
1: Now, your wife is set up where?
2: Well, okay, so um, we've got the studio on the second floor yeah. where I am. She is in the dining room, on the dining room table, and my little one is sequestered in her room uh, doing her e-learning.
1: Right. All right, well, we have me in the basement office studio. Uh, She is up in her office on the second floor, and the main floor is basically the lunchroom.
2: I've taken to calling it the commissary. Yeah,
1: pretty much. With all the same problems that you would have at a workplace lunchroom, because when I go to the fridge and try to find what I left last night for a snack, it's gone.
0: (laughs) All right, stand by. Here we go. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now available in your Grocer's dairy case. Ask for yours today. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guest Sting
2: automotive sector steps up. We'll talk to the APMA's Flavio Volpe about his non-stop effort to turn car makers into makers of ventilators in the age of COVID.
1: Plus, Ticketmaster under fire after refunding canceled concerts, but not postponed, rescheduled, or suspended shows. Oh, I'm sure they've got a valid reason for that. I'm sure
0: they do. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.
1: Got the Rona yet? No, I don't
2: have the Rona. Do you? No, I'm uh, perfectly healthy. You know who I have no problem with catching the Rona? Ticketmaster.
1: A lot of people are after Ticketmaster and Eventbrite and StubHub and a variety of other ticket sellers and resellers because they're sitting on money that people paid for tickets for events that have either been postponed or rescheduled. Now, they're supposed to be getting money back from shows that have been canceled, but uh, not all shows have been canceled well see now this is where this is the problem they're they're playing with words like postponed and rescheduled and no no promoter wants to use the canceled word nobody wants to use the c word because that means they have to give money back and with no new money coming in basically the the money that they've got in the bank right now that's their float that's what's keeping them alive until this whole rona thing is over with
2: you know what they should have done they should have cut back on all the avocado toast and maybe these companies would have had enough money
1: to make it through the rough times now Ticketmaster, who is owned by live nation uh and live nation is sitting on about two billion dollars worth of pre-sold tickets and and that's basically what's you know got to keep them afloat what, what they do is they put the money in the bank kind of like costco you don't get paid as a supplier to Costco until after 180 days, because what the uh, what Costco does is put the money in the bank and invest that money, and then they make an uh, interest on that. So that's exactly what Live Nation does. They sell the tickets in advance, put it in escrow, let the money build, and that becomes a little extra money off the top for them. Yeah, but then uh, the
2: stock market fell and you erased 13 years worth of gains.
1: Yeah, and, and now Live Nation, uh, is embarking on a $500 million cost-cutting exercise. And that includes CEO Michael Rapino foregoing his $3 million U.S. salary for this year. It's bad. Promoters aren't making any money because there's no place to put artists because the venues are closed. And agents aren't making any money because, well, they've got nobody to go to the promoters with who can't go to the venues because the venues are closed. So there is a... Um, there's this this real uncertainty about where we're going because it could be next year or even the year after before the content industry recovers.
2: Well, this all depends on whether or not the orange monster in the White House allows people to start recongregating again sooner rather than later, and we'll get that second wave, the second wave that would hit at about the time when most of us at this point are thinking, well, maybe by the fall or November, things will get back to normal. Well, that's when uh, Trumpy gives us the second wave.
1: Yeah, so here's a couple of problems. If this comes back, It'll come back in the fall, as these diseases tend to do. Secondly, there's already a lot of stuff that's been rescheduled for the fall. So Coachella, for example, Bonnaroo, for example, uh, tours that were supposed to start in May or June have been postponed until October, November. So there is going to be a lot of stuff scheduled. And that means a lot of mass gatherings and that means potential for a for for reigniting this virus uh it's it's you know i i'm watching the protests in the united states about all these people who want to be liberated
2: all, all the guys with the guns walking uh, around like they're meal team six
1: did you see those people in uh in in michigan they were walking around with the with the ar-15s that's what i'm talking about meal team six not seal team six meal team six Uh, now i understand that there's there's a lot of hardship there really is but this hardship is only going to get worse and weirder and more deadly if we don't nip this in the butt i mean they open they're not complaining about
2: the economy they're complaining about not being able to do what they want to do this, this, I don't think this has anything to do with their own personal financial situations, as much as it is that they don't like the idea of somebody else telling them what to do, and they're going to take their guns, goddammit, and get up there.
1: I, I think you're, you're right. I, I, I think you're right, and it, uh it, it's, it's frightening this idea that uh, you know rugged personal individualism trumps uh, the, the good of the whole. Trumps, no pun intended. No pun intended. You know, selfishness takes over.
2: One thing that's heartened me through this entire crisis is seeing how industries that have nothing to do with personal protective equipment step up.
1: Yeah, it's unusual because you are seeing automotive manufacturers, you're seeing, um, i trying to think of some of the weirder ones that I've seen. Well, Dillon's,
2: which is uh, a friend of the show, they make booze, they're switching over to hand sanitizer.
1: Yeah, that's that's, that's a great example. There are a number of distilleries that have actually gone into the hand sanitizer business.
2: Krista Sampson at GeeksAndBeats.com has put together a really interesting collection of various companies that have nothing to do with keeping you safe who are actually doing that. The workwear brand Dickies, for example, is converting manufacturing facilities to produce PPE gowns. And they put out a press release figuring that they could get as many as 50,000 out in May and by June... 675,000 and be at full gown forecast of 3.4 million by September.
1: But the one I'll give you a couple of other examples too. There are some bands that can't tour. So what they're doing is taking old merchandise and turning them into face masks. Oh, really? Yes, a number of them are doing that. So in Canada, we have this massive
2: manufacturing base that helps make it possible for us to make that just in time delivery mechanism of the automotive industry possible. Joining us now is a man who is largely responsible for making sure that there is a smooth functioning of the auto industry in this country. He is the president of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association and longtime friend of the show, Flavio Volpe. He joins us from his home in,
3: where are you? Toronto. I'm in Toronto, oh, you're... and you're being generous. Uh,
2: <laughs> even though it may take you a little while to get downtown, you're still technically yeah. in the city uh, of Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so help me understand how it is that you, whose job it is to make sure that the industry makes widgets for cars has turned around. And and, and literally, I think from the point at which we all realized it was important to stay home, you didn't.
3: We were looking at export controls uh, being announced in the weekend, maybe of the 13th or 14th of March. And I thought, you know what, Uh, we don't make any of these medical devices, especially the complicated ones like uh, ventilators uh, in any volume that uh, we require here in Canada. And if, if uh, places like the EU were going to restrict the export of those goods here, we were going to be in big trouble. Especially if some of the modeling on um, on this spread of this uh, this coronavirus was going to actually happen in this country. So, you know, I picked up the phone and talked to some of our friends in Ottawa and some uh, some at the provincial capital in Toronto and said, um, "Look, uh, if that's true and that spreads, you know, the export control mm-hmm. spread." Um, the only manufacturing sector that's built for scale in this country. And there's great medical technology companies, but they make hundreds of things a year. We make millions of things a year. If if you could help with making the connections with those med tech companies, you know, lend the specs, you know, under under all kinds of uh, of uh, uh, legally protected terms and conditions, we could conceivably turn one of one of or many of our fourteen hundred factories. To making masks and gloves and gowns and ventilators. Okay, now I'm going to stop
1: you right there. Uh, my wife was was wondering, and this is a very good question: How do you retool an automotive parts manufacturing plant to make medical devices? How is that possible?
3: Well, a lot of these things are made of the same types of uh, plastics. You know, there's different grades and different resins, but but they're they're injected injection molded parts. And so you, the the factories will look the same. The skill sets are the same. Most of the manufacturing line is the same. The specific tool, the mold, to make a door handle or an HVAC pipe is the same type of tool that you would use to make a, um, a test swap. You just need the mold specific to the test swap or to a mask. And so it's not easy. you know. And I was reminded many times that it was easy. It wasn't easy, but... It's not impossible. Um, the the biggest challenge is time. Could you do it in a matter of weeks, when you would normally pitch that type of business over a matter of months, and then go get the tools made, and those tools might take, you know, six to nine weeks to make, and then you, then you start training your staff. Can you do it in two weeks? And, um, you know, I challenged uh, the industry and I challenged our members. I, I, I've seen what they can do uh, when they put their mind to it. You know, the, we're talking about companies that make. Um, that shit $35 billion worth of goods a year. You know, uh, if you put your mind to it, you work around the clock, I bet we could do it. And 165 companies put their hands up. 77 got to the next stage of, okay, look, we did the due diligence. We think we can do it. And uh, another 25 to date have passed uh, rigorous Health Canada certification and international standard verification, and they're making things.
2: How do you get to that stage, though? I can imagine if we're talking about a gown or we're talking about a face mask, that this is the kind of thing that you might be able to, say, scan in using 3D systems, figure out how it's made, and quickly and easily manufacture a mold such that you could make a whole bunch of face masks relatively quickly. I suspect things get a little more complicated when you're talking about technologies like respirators, things that have substantial intellectual property associated with them. How do you get that IP out of the hands of those who are accustomed to charging $30,000 for a ventilator so that we can make them for $18,000, as GM says they'll be able to do?
3: Well, there's no secrets in this, as you might as you might expect, it's hard work. And the hard work is if you need stuff in time and you need stuff very quickly, then your shortest route is to work with companies that already have those Health Canada approvals for their product and for their lines. And so we found two. We found two companies, one called O2 Medical in uh, Brampton, another one called Thornhill Medical that already was making those ventilators. And what we said to them was the country needs tens of thousands. You make several hundred a year, if we put the might of uh, companies like Linamar, Magda, Bart Rea, uh, ABC that do, you know, $55 billion worth of business a year behind you to help to optimize your production systems, to do a whole bunch of the sub-assembly work, and then get the final assembly work done on your lines to lend their working capital, to scour our supply base for things like, look, you need to order 40,000 sensors from uh, Siemens. Can you do it? Can you source it? We can. And you work with those companies. You're not in a situation where you're reverse engineering IP, worried about whether you're going to get into a legal fight, and then and then getting ventilators made three months after people need them. So there, people are dead, and you're in court. Instead, that we're working together with the companies, the, the smaller ones that we found and we're creating, I think, uh, at the end of this. So those two companies, especially, are going to be real stars in the ventilator space. And the companies that helped them, that were auto suppliers, they're going to go back to being stars in the auto business.
1: So a, a question here. This is a lot of manufacturing power. Who's paying for all this? How is this all being taken care of? on the accounts receivable and accounts payable, accounts payable there. And, and
3: the procurement agencies are the, the are the federal procurement agency or the provincial procurement agency, usually working in, in, in uh, conjunction with health Canada and health Ontario, health Quebec and all the other provincial agencies. They know what these things cost. Um, they have uh, they have procurement guidelines and the, the, the two variables being mixed is what's the price and then how quickly can you get it here? Um, we need them yesterday, and the world is, is, is banging on the door of every, every other global supplier. I'll use, for example, the ventilator deal done with, uh, with uh, O2 uh, buys ventilators for under $10,000. And um, that's because what O2 specialized in is a transport type of, of ventilator. So imagine you, you, some, um, an ambulance attends an emergency call and uh, you need to be ventilated. That's what a transport ventilator is. Uh, if you're in an ICU, um, there's an acute ventilator in there. It's the difference between buying a motorcycle and buying a Ferrari. What O2 has done is taken its transport ventilator and up-rated up, uh, up uh, rated it, uh, up-featured uh, it for use in, um, in the rooms. And so you'll find that when these things get... Uh, when, when the public accounts get done here all of these are very reasonably priced and because you're buying from in some cases here these are uh, automotive companies that were that the 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 building already existed the, the production line already existed the staff is already there um, the 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 provinces and the federal government will enjoy the economies of scale that were just happen to be there because uh, we have one of the world's biggest automotive uh, manufacturing clusters here.
1: Well, when all this happening after GM closed the plant in Oshawa and there's all these other, you know, make America great moves to have manufacturing re- repatriated to the United States, this is, uh, it, you know, it's it's almost weird that the timing turned out to be fantastic because you had all these idle plants.
3: Well, I'll tell you the the secret here is that this replaces about 1% of the normal day-to-day activity for auto suppliers. It is not a profitable business to be in or to go into. We ship uh, $100 million a day out of uh, uh, Canadian auto supplier plants. The total purchase in medical supplies and medical devices by the time this will be done might be worth five days' shipments. So, it sounds like it's great and it happened at the right time, but to be honest, it's just the right thing to do. And then as soon as all the automakers start making cars again, everybody, all these uh, auto suppliers will be making parts again. They will fulfill all of those contracted obligations that that, that these procurement uh, uh, agreements with, uh, with the government's here. Uh, but it really is not a replacement. But it does raise the question. If we got caught short because we're trying to save 10 cents on a mask, so we procure them in China, and then we have a global pandemic where everybody's trying to buy Chinese masks and you can't get them, should the federal and provincial governments be investing in a medical device and medical instrument manufacturing sector in Canada and Ontario and Quebec? Um, I think the crisis has made the case for that.
2: What does this crisis mean for the future of just-in-time delivery? Because we spent literally the last 30 years building up the necessary infrastructure and the logistical systems to make it possible to ensure that a widget gets from point A to point B. And in many cases, as you and I have spoken many times in the past, a lot of those widgets will end up going back and forth across a border multiple times before they end up in a final produced vehicle. What does the collapse? Of just-in-time delivery during this crisis mean for the future of that supply chain system?
3: Boy, that's a good question, Michael. I, I do think that North America, the three countries in North America, can be considered one jurisdiction when it comes to automotive. I don't think it, I don't think this will affect uh, long-term any automotive just-in-time deliveries within North America. If you're making a car in the U.S. or Mexico, it's uh, or Canada, it's all the same thing. What it does say is. Look, a lot of what we've done to drive down costs in industries like cars, but it could be in all the other manufactured goods, is if we can get it for five percent or twenty-five percent cheaper in China, or uh, Vietnam, or Malaysia, uh, we should. We'll drive that cost down, and in some cases, it drives the cost down to the consumer. But in a lot of other cases, it just raises the raises the margins for the 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 middlemen. I think that. When we're, when we're looking at goods, we need to look at very closely to what we're saving money on. If we're trying to save money on the plastic containers that you get your takeout in, that's one thing. If you're trying to save money on N95 masks that save a doctor's life uh, when uh, she's intubating a patient, probably better to spend the money we you spent know, the last few decades chasing the cheapest assembly price on commoditized goods around the world. I think that what's going to happen after this is there's going to be a lot more nationalist lenses put on where we get things, everything from uh, manufactured goods to food.
1: So this is the end of
3: globalization or a
1: modification of globalization?
3: Well, I think we saw that modification with the ascent uh, of Donald Trump into the White House. And the, 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 the new NAFTA is a lot more localized than the old NAFTA. And all of the trade agreements he's been trying to push on other uh, jurisdictions all look like that. Uh, This one just highlighted really, really, really acutely what happens if we all have the same problem at the same time. And what's happened is is that the um, places like uh, Washington, D.C. have said, we're going to take care of our own first. And so if you do that, the bias for for I would say 25 years, the bias after the Maastricht Treaty that created the European Union and um, the original NAFTA was to continuously globalize, continuously push outward. The bias, probably for the next 25 years, is going to be to push in the opposite direction.
2: So we have a retracement and a circling of the wagons on a national level, which reduces the ability for countries to coordinate and cooperate down the road, all because one reality TV guy got into the White House.
3: That would be the short story on it. I would say that a country like Canada and an industry like ours thrives on keeping those global links open. You know, when you have a, a small market like this, you know, nationalizing your purchasing is going to mean that you're going to spend more and you create inefficiencies in the economy that, that don't work. We don't have 300 million people here. It isn't even a, a Trump doctrine. I, you know, I've said many times publicly, I, I think he's a moron. But the people around him who, um, who advise him on trade are not and uh, they're very well-trained and uh, good at what they do, and they are uh, ideologues on uh, restoring some of those industries to the U.S., and they're real hawks on China. And so he speaks to their language in the the thirst of getting uh, reelected and feeding the base, but they're the ones who are driving the agenda, and I do not see them relenting.
1: All right. Well, that's fine as long as Americans don't mind spending, you know, twenty dollars for a T-shirt instead of four ninety-nine.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll see. And you know what? It's the people who want to spend four ninety-nine are the ones that vote for him. So, so let's see at some point uh, if they uh, figure out where the price raise is coming from. I don't anticipate seeing anybody waking up to that this year, but they will long term for sure.
2: What, though, of the aftermath? Once the dust has settled and we have an opportunity to look back and reflect on what worked, what didn't work, I can only imagine there will be committee after committee and, and, you know, royal commission upon royal commission struck to determine all of this. And I can only imagine you're going to find yourself in front of a microphone in Ottawa at some point in the not-too-distant future. What would you see as... The most important questions that our leaders and legislators must address?
3: A, a lot of the decisions uh, that have been made over the last four or five weeks around the world, but including here, uh, have been um, have been time pressured. And uh, a lot of the innovation that's come, a lot of the certification that's come has been time pressured. A lot of the good answers have come under the pressure of time. But did we have an extra couple of weeks to think about this? Uh, should we have learned some lessons from, I mean, I, I, you know, there's a lot of us that don't trust the Chinese, but were there lessons to learn from South Korea or Japan or Italy that, uh, that we ignored? And when you're up against the clock, um, you know, we're lucky in some cases that the, the auto supplier sector was able to help here. But uh, what if we didn't have that? And I'm sure that in other places, uh, around this country or in other acute needs uh we were behind um you know the doctor and nurse shortage uh, in long-term health in uh, quebec you know they i look outside the window of our office there's a long-term healthcare facility here that 30 people passed away uh what if they had another two or three weeks uh what if uh we learn the best practices from some of the countries that were dealing with it uh you know, not to second guess anybody in power here. I think both levels of government uh, across this country have done an admirable job under pressure. But you know, like I've said, on uh, where we can help, uh, the automotive supplier sector can help in building uh, in building up against the shortages. Look, with time, given an unlimited amount of time, we can make unlimited amount of products. But uh, you know. If I've got to answer something in a week or two weeks or three weeks, it kind of makes things impossible.
2: All right, let's wrap this up on a, on a higher note. We've been talking over the course of the past couple of weeks on the Geeks and Beats podcast about this meme photo that we had posted on our Twitter account, and we got a ton of response. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't ask the guy behind the auto industry in Canada. It's 1985. You just bought this bitchin' I Rock Zed. What's the first song you play as you peel away?
3: There's got to be some early Bon Jovi in there for me. I'm Italian.
1: Okay, so you could have something like uh, Runaway?
3: (laughs) Right, Runaway would be awesome. Or um, some some real Led Zeppelin in there. And maybe Immigrant Song.
1: Flavio Volpe is the president
2: of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. He joined us from his home in Toronto. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. and, And thank you for everything you've done. We're trying.
0: Stay up to date on the latest in music, tech, and pop culture by going to geeksandbeats.com anytime. And for super happy fun joy, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're desperate for 53 bucks, apparently.
2: (laughs) I saw that. Who is Mike McDonald? Uh, I I don't know, but Mike McDonald, a listener on The Big Show, said, hey, I'm going to donate $53 specifically to The Big Show because we were talking about how that's all we get uh, on a per episode basis from patreon so i out of nowhere where i get this email that says congratulations you've got 53 bucks in your zelle account and i'm like what the
1: hell is a zelle i have never heard of Zell.
2: it feels like gazelle i don't know maybe um and so i try to plug in uh the geeks and beats bank account into Zell, and it's like yeah you're not american forget about it (laughs) but in the interim i had just as part of this back and forth with this listener i said by the way i love your comedy because i thought maybe this is the comedian mike mcdonald
1: for you women who live with a guy that hogs the remote on you that won't give it up that won't even try to cut back here's what you do pencils ready you go out and you buy another remote You bring it home, you sit down beside him, you wait till he's watching his favorite program, you pull it out, now here's the key to the whole bit, right? Don't let him see it. If he sees it, not funny. If he doesn't see it, fucking hilarious.
2: He didn't reply in any way, shape, or form. The guy said he was in Los Angeles but didn't give us any indication as to whether or not he is actually the Canadian boy made good in the U.S. of A, comedian Mike McDonald.
1: Well, I don't think it is, and I'll tell you why. Why? We're not that funny. (laughs) Some of us are funnier looking than others. (laughs) Looking, yes, but uh, from a comedic point of view, no. Yeah. At least not in my estimation.
2: He's Canadian. He's got Canadian connections. He's working down there. He says he's got some friends in B.C., could be him, maybe it's not. But we want to say thank you, Mike, for trying to get us an extra couple of bucks into the big show. As we do, we have the world's worst intern program. And what makes it the world's worst is you pay us $1 an episode to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and the only credit you get is
1: something you can put in LinkedIn. But. That could mean the difference between getting a job and not getting it. I mean, we will vouch for you. We will say that, yeah.
2: Absolutely. I noticed, by the way, that I have Geeks and Beats on my LinkedIn
1: profile. Do I not? But you don't seem to. Oh, okay. I'll fix that.
2: Okay. So it's not that you're ashamed of me,
1: right? No, 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 no. You know, I've, I've got so many hats. I guess I forgot that one.
2: So if you go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link. You can help us continue to make this show possible, as have the many patrons. Well, the 53 patrons that we've got uh, on the big show at this point. We want to say thank you amongst them. Craig Aiken, Don Woodle, Kyle Philstrom, Mark Wagner, Roland Wood, Tim Heron, TJ Webb, Walter McVane, and Mike Wise
1: of the CBC. Mike Wise, by the way. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you for giving our tax dollars back.
2: Yeah, in a convoluted roundabout sort of way. <laughs> Catch
0: all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. Geeks